This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. We are back. It is Friday, last day of questions today for pulmonology. Daphne, how are you? I'm doing great, buddy. Friday. <laughs> yeah, Friday. I wanted to make a little clarification about something that we discussed yesterday because we talked about a question where the false statement of the question was to say that there is a high risk of TTN following vaginal delivery at 38 weeks, then 40 weeks. And I think the way we spoke about it may have been confusing. The point here was that there are studies that have shown, obviously, that the lower the gestational age, the more you are at risk of TTN. However, the Dr. Brodsky and Martin were referencing this study from Germany that showed that uh, while this is true, when you look at babies who go through labor, suddenly the difference seen in babies that were uh, having TTN between 37 and 42 weeks goes away. So like labor is the big thing. And because in that question, they said there is a high risk of TTN following vaginal delivery, assuming then then you're laboring through mm -hmm. to, to a vaginal birth, then, then no, there should not be a difference. So yeah, sorry if it was a little bit confusing. We were going a little bit fast. My apologies. All on me. <laughs> All right, buddy. I have a question for you. Go ahead. Okay. Um, this is quest pulmonary question 70. Okay. A male infant born at 26 weeks gestation is now 44 weeks postmenstrual age. He has developed severe bronchopulmonary dysplasia and requires respiratory support with ventilator settings of PIP of 28, PEEP of 8, a rate of 40 breaths per minute, and an FiO2 of 60%. A recent echocardio echocardiography shows moderate to severe pulmonary hypertension. Now, which of the following statements about the pathophysiology of pulmonary hypertension in BPD is false? Is it A, disrupted vascular growth results in decreased vessel density of microcapillaries? B, the increased pulmonary vascular resistance and altered vascular reactivity results in structural remodeling of vessels? C, there's an increased cross-sectional area for blood flow. D, the vessel shows structural remodeling with initial, hy initial hyperplasia. Um, the vest, or E, the vessel shows structural remodeling with muscularization of small pulmonary arteries. So what is false about the pathophysiology of P pulmonary hypertension in BPD? Yeah, so... Um, we're looking for the false statement. The first statement A, I think, is is not is is correct. So dis there's disrupted vascular growth. Uh, choice B that talks about increased pulmonary vascular resistance and alter vascular reactivity is a is a source of BPD induced pulmonary hypertension. Choice C to me is probably the false statement. There's an increased cross sectional area for blood flow. If there was, that would be great. <laughs> That's right. Less resistance. Yeah, that'd be great. So that seems like the incorrect uh, statement. Uh, and then the other two talk about remodeling with uh, hyperplasia, muscularization. So I think these two also are correct. So C. That's correct. So C is a false answer. There are several factors that contribute to the development of pulmonary hypertension in preterm infants with BPD. 
These include the impaired lung development and vascular remodeling, which results in pruning of the vascular tree, and they have a decreased microvessel density. So overall, this results in a markedly decreased cross-sectional area for blood flow, which is the opposite of the answer choice. In addition, thicker-walled pulmonary arteries and contractile vascular smooth muscle cells extend more distally than normal, which increase the resistance overall of the vascular bed contributing to pulmonary hypertension. Okay. All right, so sorry about that. No problem. Okay. Um, am, I, you, am I asking you the next question? Yeah. All right, fine. <clears throat> You're being generous because I kind of asked all the questions yesterday. All right. <laughs> I que- should say no. <laughs> question 71. We're talking about BPD. The female infant born at 27 weeks of gestation has severe BPD, and a recent echo shows moderate to severe pulmonary hypertension. The NICU team decides to initiate treatment with sildenafil. Which of the following statements about pulmonary hypertension in premature infants with BPD is false? So sorry. Um, this sounds very much like mm-hmm. the question. I yeah, I should have kept asking you questions, you see. <laughs> All right, let's see. Uh, the choices. We're looking for the false statement. Infants with severe BPD are at a higher risk to develop pulmonary hypertension. Choice B. In patients who respond to treatment, echocardiography, Echocardiographic improvement is apparent within 48 hours after sildenafil is initiated. Choice C, pulmonary arterial hypertension is a significant complication of BPD. Choice D, sildenafil is a selective phosphodiesterase 5 inhibitor. Choice E, transient hypotension is a frequently observed side effect of sildenafil treatment. Okay, lots of false well, false choices. Okay, yes, they develop pulmonary hypertension, uh, which is also similar to answer choice C. We said sildenafil, the S is a phosphodiesterase 5 inhibitor. The S looks like a 5. That's correct. Transient hypotension, frequently observed side effect of sildenafil. That's right. That's why we go low and slow. And in my experience, it takes sometimes a while to see the um, improvement on this on a new you know dose of sildenafil. So I'm going to say that B is false. That is that is that you you did good. That's correct. That's the false statement. And okay. when you think about it, many of these kids are started first on nitric because that mm, has more immediate, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. they're bridged over to sildenafil. So as you said, yeah, it's the long acting. Mm-hmm. Is it phosphodiesterase 5 inhibitor used for the treatment of persistent pulmonary hypertension of the newborn? Data regarding its use to treat the inf- infants with BPD-associated uh, pulmonary hypertension is scarce, uh, but there's more and more data coming our way. Because transient hypertension is a frequently reported side effect, the starting dose is usually low, gradually increased to a therapeutic dose. And although only a minority of patients will show clinical signs of improvement, many treated infants have significant echo echocardiographic improvement after two weeks of therapy. So, yeah. 
I see. Yeah. I see. Okay. Uh, I will ask you question 72. Yeah. An infant born at 27 weeks gestation required resuscitation in the delivery room and is now admitted to the NICU for further management. Because this infant is at high risk of developing an intraventricular cranial hemorrhage, the neonatology fellow explains to the medical students and residents that inappropriate ventilatory management might contribute to this increased risk. Absolutely. When managing the infant described in the vignette, it is best to avoid A, hypercarbia, B, hypocarbia, C, inappropriately high mean airway pressures, D, positive end expiratory pressures above five centimeters of water, or is it E, which includes A, B, and C, hypercarbia, hypocarbia, and inappropriately high mean airway pressures? Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Um, it's interesting because I don't know when this question was written. Mm. I think there's been a lot of evidence showing that hypocarbia is bad. Hypercarbia is bad as well. But mm-hmm. then more recent evidence shows that it's mostly these swings. So I mm. think more than just the value itself, it's about not fluctuating the CO2. So I think, but anyway, maybe that's what they meant. And then inappropriately high mean airway pressures, um, definitely correct. A positive, uh, a positive and expiratory pressure above five is perfectly acceptable. So that's, mm. that's okay. Um, so I would say either C or E basically, because, um, you still, I would say E, you still should avoid hypocarbia, hypocarbia you should avoid. So then if that makes it true, then B and C are true, then it has to be E, A, B, and C. That's correct. That's correct. Um, I think we learned that we try to maintain, you know, eucarbia, right. And, and you're exactly right because it changes cerebral blood flow. There's a direct relationship between partial pressure of blood CO2 and cerebral blood flow with rising CO2 levels resulting in increased cerebral blood flow. However, too much increase or too little, (laughs) too much decrease uh, are both uh, a problem. Studies in premature infants have demonstrated an association between both hyper and hypocarbia and intraventricular hemorrhage. And you're absolutely absolutely right that those fluctuations um, put the babies at even in- higher risk. In addition, higher PaCO2 values may also attenuate cerebral blood flow autoregulation. So it changes the flow and the baby's ability to respond to changes in flow. Um, And to get to the last answer choice, inappropriately high mean airway pressures will result in increased intrathoracic pressure and will decrease cardiac output, resulting in diminished cerebral blood flow, which is also a risk factor for IVH. So all all of the three choices, except for PEEP of five. All right, Daphne, last question of the week. Question 73. Because pulmonary airways are in direct contact with the environment, they are continuously exposed to pathogens, potentially harmful stimuli. In order to maintain near sterility, an intricate host defense system is in place. Which of the following is not a component of the pulmonary innate host defense system? Choice A, alveolar macrophages secrete surfactant that has a potent anti-inflammatory effect. Choice B, mucociliary clearance. Is in, uh, there's mucociliary clearance in the conducting airways. Choice C, secreted mucins create a direct host defense system at the epithelial border. Choice D, submucosal glands secrete an array of host defense molecules that trap and kill microbes. Choice E, tubular myelin provides an extracellular reservoir of surfactant, lipids, and innate defense proteins. 
Okay, so. Which one is not? Which one is not the right answer? So most of these are correct, obviously. (laughs) Mucociliary clearance, absolutely. Big, big thing. It's reduced in little babies. Mucins do make this like sticky barrier. Molecules that trap and kill microbes. Yes, this makes sense. Tubular myelin is this reservoir for um, proteins and lipids. And I know that alveolar macrophages are like, they're the Roomba, right? They just go around and eat stuff up. So I I don't think that they're secreting surfactants and they're not uh, necessarily anti-inflammatory, but they are eating up all the all the debris that they find. Yeah, some surfactant proteins are involved in the anti-inflammatory process. But in what mm-hmm. world are macrophages secreting surfactant <laughs> proteins? Uh, uh, let's uh, read uh, the answer choice. With its physical and chemical barrier, the innate host defense system of the lungs has evolved to prevent the entry of particles, toxins, and microbes into the lung tissue and circulation. Submucosal glands secrete fluid mucins and a variety of host defense molecules into the airways. The secreted mucins not only create a defense barrier at the epithelial surface, but they also bind and transport pathogens out of the conducting airways. The fluid secreted by lung epithelial cells is necessary to keep the mucus layer hydrated to facilitate the spreading of the mucus and allow for ciliary clearance. The vast majority of luminal epithelial cells in conducting airways are ciliated and a coordinated movement of these cilia results in moving the mucus layer out of the lung. At the alveolar level, surfactant proteins contribute to the structure and function of surfactant and have intrinsic host defense properties. As we've said, another important component of alveolar homeostasis is tubular myelin, which provides an extracellular reservoir of surfactant lipids and innate defense proteins. Alveolar macrophages are a vital part of the lung innate immune system by phagocytosing Uh, pathogens, and orchestrating the downstream adaptive immune response. Although they do not secrete surfactant, they play an important role in surfactant catabolism. Okay. Can I tell you something funny? Yeah, please. (laughs) Okay. So um, when I was studying for the boards, my daughter was right at the age where we were watching a lot of Storybots, which is a show on Netflix. (laughs) And they have a great episode on how do you catch a cold? And they have an adorable macrophage. <laughs> so I think if you need like a breather and you're like, I needed just a study break, the StoryBots episode, How to Catch a Cold, is, is an interesting way to, to recall uh, our immune defense. Well, count it so. as a break, but this does, will not count as studying. I think it will count as study. You watch it and you let me know. Okay, okay? you got it. <laughs> that sounds good. All right, Daphne, this was fun. I'll see you next time. Uh, and I'll see you this this weekend for another episode of The Incubator. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphne and I via email by sending your messages to nicupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at nicupodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.